from San Francisco, California, with your host, Ben Kaspik. This is Locked On Giants Baseball. Welcome back to Locked On Giants Baseball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and I'm thrilled to be with you again today. On the show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, approximately 15 minutes in length, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also insightful and easily digestible, easy for everyone to understand. To get this show every day, you need to hit that subscribe button. You can find us on the brand new podcast app Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Then you can get in your car and tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Giants Baseball. Coming up on today's show, we're going to talk about the key takeaways from the weekend series against the Brewers, the Giants winning two out of three. We'll talk about the continued rebound from Drew Pomeranz, Madison Bumgarner's start on Saturday, and the game-ending catch, an incredible game-ending catch in that game. And then, of course, the Sunday loss with Jeff Samarja on the mound. So the Giants had a 5-3 and three homestand, and with the two wins and one loss over the weekend, their record improved to 30-39, and 39, but they're still 16 and a half games back in the National League West, eight games out of a wildcard spot. It doesn't sound like that many, but there are... Pretty much every team in the National League is ahead of them. The only team who's not is the Miami Marlins. Their run differential is still not very pretty at minus 82. In fact, it's the worst run differential in the National League, and it has an expected win-loss record of 26-43. and 43. So now they're beating it by four wins. They had been beating it by three wins for quite a while. But getting right into the games on Friday, this was a Drew Pomeranz start coming off a very strong outing in his last start against the Dodgers, which was coming off the awful start in Baltimore when the Giants staked him to a 5-0 lead in the first, and then he gave up six runs in the bottom of the first. Kevin Pillar was back in there in right field a day after we heard from Bochy that they're going to give Tyler Austin more of a look in left field moving forward, even against right-handed pitchers. So the fact that Pilar was in right, it doesn't say anything about Austin, but Belt was in left field and Duggar was in center. So against a righty, right after we heard those quotes from Bochy about using Austin more against righties, he was not in there. So I'm not sure if he just had second thoughts or what. But it ended up working out and Pilar ended up having a big weekend. And Bochy did say that the reason Belt was in left field was to get Pablo Sandoval in the lineup and Pablo played first base. In the bottom of the fourth, Pablo Sandoval rewarded Bochy's confidence in him, hitting a two-run opposite field homer to left field. So he's just continued to be extremely valuable against right-handed pitching. So kudos to him and to Bochy for getting him in the lineup. It's probably something we're going to continue to see a lot more of when there's a righty on the mound. Kevin Pillar hit a home run in the fifth against a right-handed pitcher. He also hit a home run in the previous game. So the last couple games and then continuing over the weekend, he just came around with the bat. I do think probably the main storyline from this game, however, was Drew Pomerantz, who went five innings, got five strikeouts, two runs allowed, none of which were earned, five hits, and no home runs. Over the last two games, he has not allowed an earned run. He's striking out almost 11 batters per nine innings. Walks are reasonable at 3.6 per nine, and he has not allowed a home run. So home runs were really what was plaguing Pomeranz for so much of the season. There's upside in the arm. I mean, all the strikeouts that he's getting, you would think, would lead to better results than what they have been so far. But 
Only now in the last couple of starts has he really been able to put it all together. So during that stretch, he has a 1.98 fielding independent pitching and a 3.53 expected fielding independent pitching. So those predictive numbers, if he can, obviously we don't expect the ERA to continue to be zero, but if he can live where that XFIP is suggesting at around a three and a half, that would be a huge improvement for him and something the Giants would absolutely love and probably more in line with what they were expecting coming into the year. Maybe not that good, but but not as bad as he's been. I mean, he's been dreadful. Sam Dyson got into some trouble in the seventh. He allowed a leadoff infield single, and then he walked Christian Yelich, but he stayed composed and got Braun to hit into a double play and then got Yasmani Grandal to ground out. So Dyson's phenomenal season continues, and I, I really think that his ability to induce grounders and limit home runs in this crazy high home run environment would be super valuable to a contender and he's also controllable for one more year after 2019 so expect him to be in high demand in the next month and a half or so up until the trading deadline mike yastrzemski hit a home run in the bottom of the seventh to give the giants a five to two lead and then we got the mark melanson experience in the eighth inning he had all kinds of trouble through a million pitches couldn't really put hitters away faced a bunch of lefties and he actually is pretty good against lefties but these lefties are really good against right-handed pitchers so it would have made a lot of sense to to go to someone like tony watson there even though we've said repeatedly that watson shouldn't just be automatically coming into an eighth inning but when there are a bunch of lefties mike moustakis travis shaw coming up that's when it does make sense to go to watson so that's the one time they didn't decide to use watson so not sure i totally understood that The thing about Mark Melanson, before he joined the Giants, batters in his career had a 273 average on balls in play. So when they put the ball in play and, you know, didn't strike out, didn't hit a home run, they got to hit 27.3% of the time. After he joined the Giants, they're getting a hit 36% of the time. So he was able to have such a low batting average on balls in play because he was known for inducing really weak contact. And that skill seems to have completely left him since he joined the Giants. That's what has been ailing him in his Giants career. And I I just don't think he should be seen in high leverage innings anymore. He just seems to have lost that ability to generate really weak contact on a consistent basis. Will Smith had a very strong ninth, struck out Christian Yelich, made him look bad. Coming up in the next half of the show, we're going to talk about the Saturday and Sunday games. Madison Bumgarner, every start crucial for him, given that his trade value is up in the air and we're trying to determine how much the Giants could expect to get back for him. And we'll talk about the Sunday game as well. To get this show every single day, please consider hitting that subscribe button on the brand new podcast app Himalaya or Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So that's all coming up next, but first... Okay, so as promised, we'll talk about the Saturday and Sunday games, the kind of bigger picture key takeaways from these two games. Saturday was a crazy back and forth game. The Giants came back from de- being down four to nothing to win eight to seven. Madison Bumgarner went six innings, got six strikeouts, three walks, three earned runs, five hits, did allow a home run. Pablo Sandoval was back in the lineup again, this time at third base. Evan Longoria on the bench. Kevin Pillar was back in right field with another righty on the mound. No Tyler Austin. Kind of the key points from this game, Steven Vogt went 3-for-4 with two triples. Yastrzemski made a great game-saving catch in the ninth. Will Smith did give up a home run to Yelich. Very impressive by Yelich. Yastrzemski made a diving play coming in into the gap in left center to end the game. The runner probably would have scored Braun from first base if that ball had fallen in. 
So great to see that from Yastrzemski, but I think we do want to focus more on the start by Madison Bumgarner and how it pertains to his trade value with the trading deadline just a little over a month away. So all told on the year, I'm just not seeing the numbers that are really going to blow teams away in wanting to acquire Bumgarner. His ERA, fielding independent pitching, expected fielding independent pitching, all just around league average, slightly better than average. Strikeout rate is now down to 23.6%, which is a slight improvement over the last couple of years when it hovered around 20%, but a far cry from the 27, 27.5% strikeout rate he had in 2015 and 16. Walk rate is good at only 5.2%, but he's allowing, you know, kind of a league average amount of home runs. He's got a 1.35 home runs per nine innings. All told, you just look at these numbers and it's hard to see a team really giving up a pretty penny for Madison Bumgarner. He certainly has some value and a team would would definitely like to take him on a team that's in need of starting pitching but I just think Giants fans need to expect that he's not going to he's not Max Scherzer he's not Chris Sale he's not Blake Snell and the fact that he's only signed for the next couple of months those guys still don't net that much in trades because of their rental status so if he's just a little better than league average and he's a rental you're just not going to get much and so I do think it's fair to say that it's a possibility that he will not be traded this summer because Farhan Zaidi and the Giants front office has no reason to trade him for a very marginal return when he's a franchise icon and they're going to be judged immensely based on the return of a Madison Baumgartner trade. Of course, they could pair him with somebody else of value, Smith, Dyson, Watson, and try to get a better return or take on somebody else's bad contract to try to get a better return. There are a number of ways they can do it, but if it's Madison Bumgarner alone, I just don't see a huge package coming back to the Giants at all. And if they don't trade him, they could always offer him the qualifying offer, which is a possibility that he would accept it. It's like a one-year, $19 million offer. And if he rejects it, though, and signs with another team prior to the draft, the Giants would get draft pick compensation. So even if they don't trade him, they very likely could get something in return for him eventually. Anyway, the Giants, this was an impressive win. They won the game 8-7 to in comeback fashion. They had 15 hits, although 11 of them were singles. On Sunday, Jeff Samarja was on the mound. Every start is interesting to watch, for me, of Samarja because he's got this like pretty good ERA and then peripherals that are just so much worse. So every time he pitches, I'm like sitting there expecting a bunch of runs to come in against him. And that's kind of what happened yesterday. Four runs in five innings, nine hits. Two walks, five strikeouts, one home run. Something to note about Jeff Samarja, just looking at his average pitch velocities over the last several seasons, they are way down from where they were earlier in his career and even in his Giants career. In 2016 and 17, his fastball averaged 94.3 miles per hour, and this year it's down to 91.7. So he very much just looks like a pitcher in decline. The peripherals still suggest an ERA closer to five even than to four. So I would very much expect like a four and a half or more ERA from him moving forward. Giants had some chances to score in this game. Brandon Crawford hit a soft line drive with a runner on third and no outs. Couldn't get that run in even though the infield was back. But Kevin Pillar hit an RBI double to give the Giants a run, make it two to one. In a two to two game in the top of the third inning with runners on second and third, Bochi elects to bring the infield in. I like the aggressiveness bringing the infield in in that situation. But just the other day, we were talking about how he didn't bring the infield in with a runner on third 
and one out, no runner on second, just a runner on third in a tie game later in the game. He doesn't bring the infield in with a guy on third, tie game, one out in like the fifth or sixth inning, but he does in the third inning of a tie game with runners on second and third. I think infield in makes sense in both of those situations, but situations but it made more sense the other day and less sense yesterday in the bottom of the fifth the Giants had the bases loaded and no outs with Posey Belt and Crawford due up and they managed to get one run out of that situation Posey struck out Belt hit a sack fly and Crawford popped out so the the core offensive players for the Giants namely Posey and Crawford in that situation just absolutely unable to do anything. And they are a huge reason why the Giants are where they are right now with their huge offensive struggles just continuing. Down by just one run in the sixth inning, Bochi elected to use Derek Holland, which I thought was a head scratcher because down a run, you're very much still in the game. And Holland is like the last guy out of your bullpen right now. And sure enough, first batter he faces, he falls behind three and one and then gives up a monster home run that makes it a two run game. He escaped major trouble in the next inning, first and third, no outs. He got out of it somehow. But still, I thought that bringing in Holland kind of was like a white flag in the game, even though they were very much still alive. Derek Rodriguez had a nice inning out of the pen in the eighth. He also pitched the top of the ninth, two scoreless innings, one strikeout. So that kind of sums it up. The Giants now head to Los Angeles and then to Arizona for this road trip. Coming up tomorrow, we will talk about tonight's game against the Dodgers. Tyler Beatty on the mound for the Giants. Kenta Maeda gets the start for the Dodgers. Always interesting to watch Tyler Beatty. Could he be a part of the long term here? It'll be a real test facing a potent Dodgers lineup with a bunch of really tough lefties against the righty Beatty. If you like this show, please consider hitting that subscribe button on the brand new podcast app Himalaya or Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. This is a daily show with new episodes every single weekday, Monday through Friday, approximately 15 minutes in length, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also insightful and easily digestible, easy for everyone to understand. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspic. You can follow me on Twitter, at Cove underscore cast. I cannot wait to be with you again tomorrow, and until then, we'll see you next time. 